Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome again to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter. How are you today, Todd? Great. You know, this is my favorite role, sidekick to Ben Sternke. There's nothing I do in my life that is more peaceful than this. Yeah, you. Uh, I feel like you say that almost every time. So I it's just never know what to say to it. I need well, to come up with a retort. You know, I think what happens is I get on this thing and I, I feel like, okay, I can like take a breath here. I don't have to solve some major problem or something. I can just I talk see. with a couple of friends and have some fun. There you go. Okay. Well, good. All right. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, that's this time feels like that for you. Uh, it's great. We're also here with uh, Sean McCain, the Reverend Sean McCain. Um, we'll introduce you a little bit more and why you're here, but Sean, just say hi. I've always wondered what would happen if I refused to say hi and just left it silent. It'd be like mystical. Yeah. He's here. Is he? Yeah. Somebody would have to come up with a theological explanation for the nothingness of a green. We're off to a great start. This is probably the best episode you've ever made. Probably. (laughs) If you haven't turned it off yet, uh, please don't. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, today we're uh, starting a new series um, that was suggested by a friend called "The Gifts of Anglicanism for the Body of Christ." Mm. Um, and uh, over the past, oh, the, here's the kind of the gist of the series. Over the past few decades, many of us in C4SO and many of us, many of our listeners, probably to this podcast, uh, have found ourselves on the Canterbury Trail, so to speak, which is uh, to say that we've been drawn by the Spirit to the treasures of the great tradition of the Church. But at the same time, we want to steward those riches within a contextual, kingdom-centric mission without getting mired in a stiff traditionalism that would hamper spirit-empowered mission, which strikes me as kind of C4SO's charism, if you will. Um, And this podcast series, then, is going to feature eight uh, treasures that we've received in the Anglican tradition and how they can effectively engage the world around us. Um, so all these treasures are kind of, they're going to, they come from the great tradition, so they're kind of going to overlap, um, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be fun to focus on these things. So we're kicking off this series uh, today with uh, an episode on the gift of the centrality of the Eucharist in worship, the centrality of the Eucharist in worship. And this is why we've invited Sean McCain uh, to join us to chat a bit about his journey into Anglicanism, uh, the centrality of the Eucharist for the life and the worship of the church. So uh, welcome again, Sean McCain, to the C4SO podcast. It's so good to be here. Especially, talk, I mean, I wonder if people are like, of course, Sean's a broken record with this thing. I hope I haven't used <laughs> up all the street cred. <laughs> no, you're, you're far more insecure about that than, oh, uh, than I think you need to be. It's just a big part of my story, uh, yeah, being Anglican, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, let's, uh, you're a pastor. You're the rector at Resurrection South Austin. Uh, yes. Yes, that's right. Okay. As of right. Wednesday, August 11th, that? that's still the case. Wednesday, August 11th, <laughs> while we are recording this, that is still the case. No guarantees that it's still the case. No, anyway. Um, great. Uh, so let's start with... Uh, let's start with your story. Hmm. Um, like many of us, you didn't grow up Anglican or Episcopal. Um Tell us your story about your journey into Anglicanism. Where where'd you come from? What tradition and what initially attracted you to this tradition? Yeah, my um, p- 
parents were part of the Jesus movement and my mother was raised Roman Catholic. Actually, my abuelita, my, my grandmother, my mom's side was a Roman Catholic nun in San Antonio. So we have this, that, mm-hmm. that side of things. And then this, yeah. the Jesus movement, um, in my parents' life. And then the Methodists took them because they were the only ones that would deal with people with guitars at the time is what they tell me. So interesting. Yeah. So I got this kind That's of amazing. mutt, uh, mm-hmm. religious tradition. And I grew up in the Methodist church, uh, with my dad who was, is still a Methodist pastor and I was his altar boy and we had lots of fun doing that. And so I always had this kind of front row seat to what was going on at the altar, although I didn't entirely, um, sometimes wasn't interested or didn't understand. Um, but it was always in this really sacred context. And so that was always familiar to me. Um, it wasn't, then, and then in my young adult life, I was part of more non-denom evangelical um, kind of movements and churches. And, um, and, and it wasn't until, to be honest, I my aunt Joanne on my mother's side had died and I attended her funeral. And at that time I had been going to Fuller Seminary and asking big questions about what it meant to be the church and what the sacraments were. And I had been reading in the basement at Fuller, you know, um, the Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and some other crew who seemed super Catholic, but weren't nor were they Orthodox and they were Anglicans. What? And I realized, Oh, oh okay. My right. people. I was going to say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I, I see what you mean now. So, <laughs> so this was kind of all floating around and I was at my aunt Joanne's yeah. funeral and I remember sitting in the pew and seeing the open casket with her body there. And, and the priest held up the bread and the wine. And there was this silence that just blew me away. And I, I really had this kind of charismatic experience seeing the elevated Eucharist with the body of my aunt and it all kind of clashed and made sense to me that this is the hope of the church. This is the hope of the Christian life, the resurrection of the dead um, in material ways and that Christ had actually like made this possible. And it just kind of all like was a, was a big realization to me in it. And I walked out of that service thinking, I don't, I don't think I know much about anything, but I know <laughs> that this is really important and I need to, I need to start with this. And so ever since that's really what has, has guided me in my own, um, spiritual life as a Christian since then has been, um, reckoning with the materiality of the son of God and his nearness by the spirit mm-hmm. in our life. And mm-hmm. this, this community that he makes, that's not a rotary club with spiritual convictions, um, but, but a, um, the real presence of Christ's body on earth as this outpost of the kingdom of God. I just, I'm still dealing with the mystery of that, but it, Mm. I've been reckoning with it ever since. And so maybe that's ever since I've had, you know, even as an Anglican priest moments, um, where I I still encounter the Holy Eucharist and think, what is this, you know? (laughs) And at the same time, Lord, thank you. What a mystery. Um, so that's the tip of the iceberg, but that's kind of, yeah. kind of where it came from for me. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, you know, you mentioned that you had this kind of charismatic experience as you saw the host elevated and you kind of participated in this uh, Eucharist service. How much reading had you done about the sacraments kind of before this? Like, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, was your imagination primed a little bit or was this like a purely sort of like, wow, what's happening? Something's happening and I don't I don't know what I'm looking at and I need to yeah, read about Yeah, I this. could tell you who I was reading around that time. I'm not sure the sequence I remember correctly. I remember mm. reading Jamie Smith's um, Desiring the Kingdom 
right? That's okay. like a that's an all star hit right there. De- but yeah. that was dealing more with liturgy and desire and Augustine. Right. Yeah. I remember reading Alexander Schmemann's For the Life of the World, and I don't know if that was before or after, but those were basically the same experiences for me. The, his kind of yeah. soaring explanation of the mystery and the beauty of the Eucharist and the church yeah. go hand in hand with that experience. Um, and then there were others. I remember actually reading, Todd, your book, uh, reckoning with this whole like Eucharist thing and going, where are my people? And then reading your story, Todd, and, and thinking, oh, these are my people. I got to get a hold of this guy. And we happen to be in Southern California right. at the same yeah. time. So, but those were some of the, those are some of the key ones, Ben, mm-hmm. those, those books. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm fascinated with that because um, one of the things about the centrality of the Eucharist is it is, you know, you, you, it wasn't like a profound sermon that you heard. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, um, I don't know, it wasn't an, a new idea. It was like the embodied, it was this embodied thing. It was the, it was the, the holding up, it was the liturgy, mm-hmm. it was the bread, it was the wine, it was... It was the whole, it was the gestures. It was, you know what I mean? And it, and it was, was exactly a, because that nothing was being said. I come from such a yeah, verbose a worship silence. experience yeah. Yeah. that this, this, in this beautiful cathedral, I think there were bells. I don't remember if it was actually silent or just I, everything went silent for me, mm. but it was in that vacuum of sound that I just, this thing was At present. Least the vacuum of words, right. even if there were bells, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, um, that's one of the, you know, pieces, I guess, of uh, at least modern uh, Anglican worship is the centrality of the Eucharist, the week, weekly Eucharist and sort of the design of the liturgy it points towards the Eucharist, you know, as the fulfillment uh, of, the, of the word and all of that kind of thing. I, I didn't grow up celebrating communion every week. I, I assume that you guys didn't either in your Methodist church. No. Yeah. Um, what are some misconceptions people have about the Eucharist and maybe Anglican worship in general that um, you found that you need to, I don't know, maybe talk through people at your church or. Right. We do this liturgy tour. We get new folks at the church all the time and you know, they have that kind of deer in the headlights look where it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, honey, are we in the right church? (laughs) (laughs) And so we, we have this liturgy tour that we try to walk people through and, and ask questions. And when we come to the altar and, and we're standing around the altar together and we explain Holy Eucharist, some of the misconceptions are, um, one of the first is, so do we believe in transubstantiation? <laughs> like, are we oh, those yeah, people? Yeah, that's yeah, a big question. And um, that's a hard one to answer because depends on how you define transubstantiation. Is it like the, yeah. the way that Catholic uh, doctrine does? Because it's actually, um, Rowan Williams does a lot of work on this as well. It's actually not very dissimilar from the Anglican understanding of real presence. But if you have kind of a folk understanding of transubstantiation, which is, you know, if we put this thing under a microscope, we're going to see skin cells and blood cells. No. Right. Um, And so those words, I think oftentimes, those huge words get in the way of, of what, what we, how, how we can convey what we really believe is happening. And what I love about um, the Anglican posture in this, and I, I think when I share this with people, they sense that same relief is that. We, we turn to the words of Jesus in John 6, and that story of him saying, look, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And um, that even after reiterating this many times and likening himself explicitly as the bread of heaven, the disciples, people start leaving and the disciples are like, 
Jesus, this is a, this is really tough. Are you suggesting what it's a hard we're, teaching? Right. Yeah. And um, Jesus doesn't say, "Look, guys, it's a metaphor. Chill." You know, it, <laughs> he doubles down and says, "I'm telling yeah. you the truth." And so, yeah. um, uh, you know, verily, verily. And so, what do we do with yeah. that as Anglicans? I found a relief in in being able to say we don't need to squeeze out intellectually an understanding mm. of exactly what is happening here. Mm. And in fact, as Anglicans saying we this is only here because the lord has promised it and how it's here is because um by his word it is here and that's mm-hmm. actually part of the beauty of it and when we yeah. do that we find actually that's a very jewish posture too that bread from heaven in the first place which was what is it man who you know manna yeah. um this in like hebrew f- uh, folk language mean kind of likening the two um words together and i think in the same way when we come to the altars anglicans we don't want to make the mistake of, well, this is a mere symbol and it's just to get us to cognitively recall some past event that makes us really happy or warm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not skin and blood cells. It's way right. more interesting and I would say way more dangerous than both of those, which is God is present. Can mm-hmm. you discern him? Or yeah. do you reach for intellectual or doubt or kind of all of these other escape hatches to um, that that um, we're tempted to reach for in that mystery, in that like tight spot of discomfort of, I don't know what this is and I feel uncomfortable. We reach for intellect or just despair or doubt. Yeah. And and yeah. instead, I think God's inviting us into this liminal space in between to actually believe what he said and to abide yeah. in the mystery and you'll find his presence there. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I, I've that's one of the things that I've deeply appreciated too about um, the Eucharist uh, is that it does not, like the faith that it demands is not that much, <laughs> you know, like I don't have to have a correct understanding to, to, to receive or, you know, be in the right posture, like emotionally mm. in order to receive all, I guess I just come forward. I put my hands out and, and I receive because Jesus promised to be here. And so, all right, I, I, I don't know how it works. But the point isn't to know how it works necessarily. There's probably a lot of theory, like you said, the Jewish understanding of, of manna. Like, there's probably a lot of theories about, well, how did it get here? And, you know, like, what, like, uh, when, when does it, sh- why does it sh- stop showing up on the Sabbath? Right. And, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, like, I think there's a sense in which th- that's, that can be fun to do that. But the point is, no, eat it. Right, like, you, like Anglicans, the point is to eat it. They, they, their yeah. little obsession about it is exactly when does it become the real presence? At what words, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or parents, I don't want my kids to receive this until they understand what they're receiving. And I yeah. look at them and say, "Do you understand what you're receiving?" <laughs> <laughs> like anybody, raise your hand if you get what you're right, receiving. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's this, there is this childlike, full of yeah. wonder, um, no pretense. It isn't, and it's an objective presence. That's an Anglican doctrine, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Ben. It, it's not dependent on the kind of mood you're in um, mm. or where you're at. Um, but it is it is because Christ has promised it is an objective presence available to us to discern and receive. And that to me yeah. is like such a beautiful uh, means of grace kind of thing. Like that, what a grace, yep. what a gift that is. Yep. yep, yeah. It's just bread, it's just wine, but it's grace. Right, and... And uh, there's, um, I could go on all day. I, you just got to like hold up your hand or great. mute that's me. Why, yeah, yeah, that's why I, I'll um, interrupt you. Austin Ferrer, he's one of the great um, 20th century uh, uh, Anglican theologians. And he talked about how the Eucharist 
Um, it doesn't like apples don't just fall from the sky. They grow on apple trees. And he would mm. say in the Eucharist sacraments, they don't just like get zapped uh, to us from heaven. Um, but they're actually given to us through the branch of the apostles ministry throughout church history, a tree planted mm. by Christ himself that is now brought about mm. to us his presence. And I, I really love that because um, I think sometimes we can kind of try to get behind the mystery of all this and say, and even control this, this yes. thing, this delivery method. And, um, or even like, well, can I just have Doritos and Pepsi and call it Eucharist? Mm -hmm. Why do I need a priest? You know, all these interesting conversations and in all of those things, um, I love that we don't get to decide, but it's actually because it's given and it's meant to be received as gift. And the means of that gift involves the people that Christ himself said, Hey, give this gift throughout history and the apostles ministry has now come to us. And I think Anglicans um, can at their best really do a good job at holding all those things together and and um, without eliminating one because it's inconvenient or hard to believe. We do a good job with that, I think. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for Redeemer in Atlanta, uh, which is led by Leon McKenzie and Drew Henley. Did I get the last name right? Was it Henley? <laughs> you did, man. Okay, you good. Did. I didn't write it down, yeah. but, uh, but there we go. But Andrew <laughs> Henley. So, um, yeah. And uh, uh, Leon is here uh, to share briefly with what's uh, going on right now and how we can pray uh, specifically for them. Leon, welcome to the, welcome back to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. We did this about a year ago, didn't we? Yeah, we're, we were the first ones, right? I think ones? you guys were the first ones. This we're is the, the first, first we're, we're looping back around. Uh, we're coming yeah, back man. around. So Welcome back. Yeah, yeah. Glad, good yeah. to see you guys again. And you guys have been on some other episodes as well, um, mm-hmm. talking about some other stuff. But um, but specifically as it regards uh, your church and what's going on right now, uh, what's one thing that you're encouraged by? One thing that I'm encouraged by, uh, as you know, we just talked about this before we hopped on, mm-hmm. but, you know, unfortunately we've had this uh, recession, if you will, into back into COVID season, it feels like, yeah. back to COVID yeah. tide and, and um we've had to go back to wearing masks mm-hmm. and we expected mm-hmm. it to have somewhat of a significant impact on at least Sunday attendance or something. Yeah. But thankfully people just wore, wore their masks they're, yeah. and they're still coming. That's great. And yeah. And I've <laughs> just no been, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been immensely encouraged, man, by people just being okay yeah. with masks and seeing it as an opportunity to care for each other. Yeah. And uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. Not a single email. I expected a ton of objective emails, not a single one. And um, it's been great. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that can be really refreshing as a pastor. We we encountered the same thing. We went back to wearing masks a few weeks ago. And, you know, I I noticed myself sort of girding up my, uh, my spirit. Uh, for for protest and <laughs> struggle, you didn't want to say loins. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, girding up my spiritual loins. Your spiritual guy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we the same thing. People were just like, "All right, let's do this." Um, so I think people are excited enough to be just meeting in person. That they're like, "Whatever we need to do, it's fine." Yeah, that's so great. Uh, how about mm-hmm. a challenge that you guys are facing right now? You want to share? I think a challenge in the same in the same vein. It, it is it is awkwardly inhibiting to wear masks on Sunday morning. 
Yes. You, yes. you, for some reason, it feels constricting. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. spoke to our worship director. I was like, hey, why does it feel so weird? Why do I feel mm-hmm. like I'm being held back or restrained somehow just because I have this piece of cloth over my face? Yes. And she's like, I don't know, but I feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. You know, so singing yeah. feels strange. Yeah. Just talking to other people feels strange. And so it's just one of those things where it's it's just um, even with that piece of that tangible piece of thing covering our face, it feels like we've been pulled back into something that we thought yes. we left behind. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and, and it is challenging and it, yes. it's difficult not to fall into some level of despair or something. Right. Yes. To really trust that God is in control yeah. um, during this this. Um, kind of doubling back into into COVID yeah. time. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've noticed that as well. Just a, a sense of like you you're only seeing a third of people's faces and there is a you don't you can't connect mm-hmm. quite as well. You know what I mean? You're not getting the full range of bodily expression. And that that leaves a big uh hole, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. feeling that too. Well how can we pray for you and uh, for the leadership and for the people there of Redeemer? Um I just pray that um, continue to pray that our people will will persevere, mm-hmm. right? Persevere in, in in wearing masks and understanding this is just a season. Let's trust yeah. the Lord. Being safe and all around in life, I think there are a good bit of people. Even the most conservative people are now having to weigh whether they're just going to throw caution to the wind and just go after this thing, right? We have yeah. the vaccines, yeah. you know, and um, just pray that we can continue to pers- um, persevere. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is we are in our new building. And it is a fantastic space. We're sharing with, um, so our pastor of discipleship, uh, Benjamin Wills, he's the founder of Peace Preparatory Academy. And Mm -hmm. we're using their converted sanctuary space. It's not an auditorium, but it's still a sanctuary because we use it for church on Sunday mornings. And um, it's it's fantastic. It's a fantastic partnership. But we fully anticipate there being bumps along the road with Mm -hmm. teachers loving their space. And we maybe put things the wrong way. So just pray, pray that that... Yeah. Um, this partnership um, continues to go well for the long term, as long as we're um, right. using the building, sharing the building in this way. And just continue to pray for for Drew and I and leadership at our church. Um, okay. You know, we've been blessed um, with just great people, supportive people who have made these past couple of years as mm-hmm. um, as least stressful as can be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of pastors burning out. Yep. We're hearing about them every week. Yep. And um, we, we ju- I just don't want us to lie to ourselves that if we yeah. need to take care of ourselves, that we would just take the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah. So just prayer yeah. that we are indeed doing well. And if mm. not, we would make space to make sure that we are. So. Okay. Well, Leon, thanks for joining us today. It's yeah, good to hear Yeah, uh, what's uh, going on for you guys and how we can pray for you. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Redeemer or contrib- uh, contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. I don't know if this is, this question occurred to me as I've studied a little bit of Anglican history. And so uh, we can move on quickly if you don't have much to say about it, Sean, but, uh, or Bishop Todd, feel free to jump in with a uh, question or or a comment of your own as well. But, um, you know, weekly Eucharist wasn't necessarily a feature of Anglicanism from the outset. Um, But it, but as, um, you know, it, Eventually, it became the norm across most Anglican churches. Um, what were some of the reasons for this? And um, 
I don't know. It, it just strikes me as an interesting move for Anglicans to make to say we're gonna we're gonna change from the way that we've done this to the norm becoming weekly mm-hmm. Eucharist, um, which has been that's been one of the you know the features of coming into the Anglican tradition for me has been you know the the the, the receiving of of Eucharist weekly. But I don't know. I don't know if you had any comments or thoughts on that. How it relates well, to our topic I mean, of course here. I do, Todd. <laughs> I, I I think there's a fun fact here, though. Did you know that the okay. first act of Parliament after King Henry VIII died was to restore the Common Cup, Eucharist in both kinds, mm. in oh, law, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. because it had been it had been withheld, like you said, yeah. Ben. And um, so there's this huge history, unfortunately, in the Church, um, and at least as I understand it, um, this this goes back. From, think of like, you know, in the 16th century, like I'm, I'm mentioning King Henry VIII, but also um, Thomas Aquinas mentions that this is kind of a custom in the medieval period and even back to like the fifth century. This is happening mm. uh, regularly with churches. And yeah. um, there, there are a few kind of um, ideas about why this started happening. But one of them is that because people would take the host home and use it as like a lucky charm, like a talisman, oh, using it for yeah, superstitious yeah, yeah. reasons to... Yeah. You know, uh, wave it around their farms for good luck, or their homes for safety, or hang it like a kind of folks do with with um, mistletoe, or mistletoe or horseshoes, like they do in Texas. Yeah, okay. and um, and uh, like you, you can imagine, this wasn't meant to be um, used like that, like a rabbit's foot, which is right. which gives some kind of historic context to in the Thirty Nine Articles when when um, there's a prohibition to waving around, marching around um, the Holy <laughs> Sacrament. Yeah, Which, yeah. I mean, here's my cards. I don't think they're talking about, um, Bishop, you can kick me out at any time. <laughs> I'm going to say some sketchy stuff. Well, it's not sketchy, but it's it's debatable um, okay. in, among Anglicans. I don't think they're talking about after receiving Holy Eucharist, um, sitting in the presence of the sacraments and discerning the presence of Jesus and adoring his presence in it. I think what those articles are, um, in part referring to is this historical context of people misusing the sacrament for yeah. superstitious reasons. Uh, so, but there's a big debate there. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe, am I getting about, us into trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, it's all good. Um, yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. Cause I think you, what you talked about before, I know that's part of the, you know, anytime you want to talk about real presence, I feel like the, it's an easy thing to just say, you know what, it, you know, th- there's no such thing as real presence. It's just sort of a, a nice, you know, way to remember Jesus. Um, and you don't have to deal with superstitions mm. and things like that. I think as soon as you start talking about real presence, there is this holy danger, you know, of people taking it a bit too far. Um, but I, you know, something about that that I like, that it's like, yeah, this, like, that that's a way that you could take this too far, but that's, you know... That's just part of, I think, dealing faithfully uh, with what yeah. Jesus says about the Eucharist. I kind of wish people would treat it a little bit more like that, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, it seems right. like we can really flippantly receive this, not yeah. not discerning, not pausing to go to ask the deeper question, what is this? What's going yeah. on here? Yeah. Well, how, you know, this, this series is called uh, The Gifts of uh, the uh, the gifts of uh, Anglicanism for the body of Christ. So I'll just ask straight up. I mean, we've been talking about talking around this for a little bit, but like, what? How is the centrality of the Eucharist a gift for the body of Christ? Mm. How would you answer that? Um, yeah, because it has it is it is the, the outworking, the fruit of 
the prolongation of to us the incarnation itself. Um, mm. We worship a God who is not just theoretical or something that we kind of can access intellectually, um, but even the way we treat the scriptures. There is these aren't just words on a page, but this is the voice of God disclosing mm. something of His love for us that we can discern and be present to. Um, and if you can imagine going to church and not reading the Bible, um, that's, that's I think, in word and sacrament, if we're word and sacrament kind of people, that's how it should feel when, if we were to not receive the sacraments. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. or to, to ask the question, Ben, so, you know, Sean, what, what would it be like to have a church without the Holy Scriptures? Why is the Holy Scripture so important to the church? Um, right. We would hear that maybe as... as um, uh, you know, non-Anglicans might hear that, or people not from the great tradition might hear that as like, are you kidding me? What, I don't even know yeah. where to begin with that. Yeah, yeah. That's actually how about? we, I think it would be appropriate to hear that question about the Holy Eucharist. Yeah, um, it's good. Not to totally dismiss it or anything like that, but um, that that the church itself is um, is the, the means by which God is at work in the world and is his incarnate son hmm. um, is at work in the world by the power of his spirit. And, um, we can we can make a fuss about again. I know Oscar Ferrer is a huge is a huge influence to me, and I love him. And he talks about as Anglicans, we can take liturgy or sacraments or you know our Anglican tradition itself, and we can make a big fuss about all the cool features on this telescope. But mm-hmm. on, on, but you the point of the telescope is not to see the telescope, and it's actually until you become unaware of the telescope that you can see the thing you're actually the object of your vision. These celestial objects in the sky. And he said in the same way, um, our tradition is, is that way until these things kind of can disappear. Um, they, until that point, they won't mediate the point of the, of these objects or of, of the telescope, which is to see Christ, to behold Christ, Mm -hmm. to have Christ mediated to us in, in real ways. And one of the ways that Christ does that is through the Eucharist. And of course there are other like what we mentioned the word and the fellowship of the body and the creed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are ways in which we come to an encounter with the living God, but the Eucharist is this really material, it's such a material thing yeah. to reckon with of the mystery of God's presence to us. Um, yeah. 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 And I hear in that too, like a lot of, you know, to be on the Canterbury trail, you know, is sort of taken from um, Robert Weber's book, right. Which refers to evangelicals on the Canterbury trail. Right. And so I think, I think the, the move you're, you're talking about there is, uh, is part of the important thing here of just saying like, um, once, once you, once you come into, uh, this tradition, it does feel that way. It does feel like, well, how, how do you do church without the Eucharist? Mm. Like what, what are we even doing? You know, this is, n- well, this was a nice class session. That was a nice sermon. That was a nice teaching, but are we really doing church unless we, that's how I feel, you know what I mean? Uh, about it. And, um, but I didn't initially, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like as I came from the more word-centered evangelical world, it felt like, well, that's the big deal, the sermon and hearing the word preached and the gospel proclaimed. And, you know, that's the, that's the main thing. Um, but I think one of the gifts of the centrality of the Eucharist is that we do get this sort of uh, like a f- more fully orbed uh, mediation of Christ's presence um, mm-hmm. to the body of Christ. And it's, it's yeah. kind of getting at, like, why does the church exist what is the point of mm-hmm. all this it seems mm-hmm. like what in the mission of god these all of these questions the constellation of things start to come into view um and we we can answer the 
that the message of the gospel of the kingdom is that, hey, God is at work reconciling the world to himself. He's establishing his kingdom. He's incorporating real human beings into his life. And the means of that incorporation is his son. And this meal, that baptism, is the means by which you get in on his son's life. So it's kind of, you, end, you end up not being able to talk about just why the Eucharist and why the church without actually talking about the entire gospel of the kingdom itself and this yeah, beautiful yeah. vision of what why God's the world? doing. Why right? God? Why yeah. anything? <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um, maybe one, one, last, uh, one last question uh, for both, uh, for you, Sean, but also um, maybe you could answer this one as well, Todd, and then I'd love to hear if you have any other you know, reflections uh, on this, uh, Todd. Um, or questions for Sean. Um, I'd love to hear those. But how have you noticed, like, to just talk personally for a little bit, um, like, how have you noticed the effects of just uh, diving into the centrality of the Eucharist, not just as an idea, but as a weekly practice, right? Um, as a weekly practice of participating in a liturgy that leads us in word and sacrament, we receive the Eucharist every week. What, what has been the effect of this in your life? Sure. Go ahead, Sean. The effect it's in my... Sorry, pause. I didn't know if that was me. <laughs> Who's here? Is anybody here? That was our awkward pause. <laughs> yeah. um, the effect in my life. It, um, you know, as a, as a priest, I have a, especially as kind of a sole priest for a while at a church, the front row that I have is at the altar every week. Mm-hmm. And um, we ring bells, we elevate, We there's so much incense, it's glorious. And... In all of this, I, I have these moments where I kneel um, in, in the celebration of the Eucharist and have these moments where I think, Lord, I, you've said you're present. This is so hard for me to see sometimes. Can you help me see? Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. there's, this, um, there's this muscle that I'm constantly realizing I have to exercise, which is, Lord, have mercy. That Lord, have mercy muscle. <laughs> Lord, have mm-hmm. mercy. I, I, you've said so, and I can't see help me see, um, Hmm. that, that has been so worked. It's so worn in just my encounter of the Eucharist that I'm I'm certain that God is doing a work in me. Um, even in, in receiving the Eucharist, a profound work in me, including the forgiveness of sins and being incorporated into his life and fed by him. Hmm. But there's also these kinds of, um, spiritual discernment and formation side effects of like what happens when you're constantly working that Lord have mercy muscle, that discernment muscle. Because then when I'm going into the world or with my kids, I'm sitting there listening to some story that's hard to, to follow. <laughs> I have little kids. And uh, the, I, I find that the experience sitting and listening to my kids is not dissimilar from um, being at the altar and discerning, Lord, what are you doing here? Have mm-hmm. mercy. I can't see, but I know something's going on here. I know you're yes. present. Even in mission or just kind of our conversations with friends and non-Christians or neighbors, um, there is never an assumption that God has not been here or isn't here, but mm. I think because of that well-worn path at the altar, um, mm. there is something grown in me that assumes God is here. He's present. He's doing something. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I know that discernment process. It's familiar to me. And so I can, I can discern that John Chrysostom says, um, he's preaching a sermon on Matthew and he says to to his congregation, look, do you, if you really want to honor the Lord, um, his presence with silk investments and gold chalices, 
then honor his body lying naked at the doors of the church. And in this one sentence, he connects that, that kind of reality of encountering, encountering the Lord where he's promised to be, including the Eucharist and in the lives of the poor. Um, but also, I think, hinting at that discernment process of like of, yes. um, recognizing his presence in disguised places and faces. Yeah. And um, I find that worked out in my life constantly when I'm at the mm. table and then when I'm in the world doing whatever. Yeah, that's great, Sean. If Christ can come to us in bread and wine, then he can come to us in our neighbor, mm. in our kids as well, yeah, in the poor. Yeah. Bishop Todd, any reflections from you to close us out here? Yeah, I I, I know I've said this to Sean before, and maybe on a podcast, but it, it's been a while. Um, you know, I've tried to read the grand theologies about this and philosophies and philosophical theologies and, you know, metaphysics that underlie all these questions. And, um, and you know, they're okay. They're brilliant people, like way smarter and way more godly than me. But I don't find them to be tremendously helpful, meaning that for me, I don't think it's explanation that I need. What mm. I need is Jesus had something in mind that he wanted to mediate to his body. Whatever he intended to give, I intend to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I need whatever the reality is more than I need the explanations. Kind of like you were saying, Ben, earlier, like I- I'm happy to have a cup of coffee and why well, don't drink coffee, a cup of tea and talk about the interesting theories and stuff. I mean, I'm interested in them on a certain level, but I'm saying they don't nourish me. Mm -hmm. What nourishes me is, you know, this notion of real presence. And so I probably don't do this every week because I forget, but most of the times when I go to church, um, this is kind of weird to say, but I actually enjoy not celebrating when I don't have to, because Mm -hmm. then I can be in the position of reception Mm-hmm. And so going forward with my body and hands and heart in a, a posture of reception, before I get to the, the priest, I say, Lord, whatever you intended, I intend to receive. Mm-hmm. Whatever you intended by your broken body and shed blood, that I want to receive. Mm-hmm. I say that to myself as I'm standing in line, you know, waiting yeah. to go up. So for me, Eucharist is kind of existential. It's experiential. Um, I'm not much help on the philosophical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mystical uh, underpinnings. Um, you know, it's kind of humorous to say, but imagine sitting at, you know, the first, you know, upper room and Jesus says, uh, takes a piece of bread, breaks it and says, pass it amongst yourselves. This is my body. Can you imagine them all looking at it and going, like, what does he mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Your body's sitting right there and it's not bleeding. What did you break off from yourself? You know, like, you know, how is this working? And like, you know, like Sean was saying, you imagine them busting out, you know, ancient microscopes and putting this loaf of bread under it and going, well, wait, this looks like, you know, wheat germs, not skin cells, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think that's, this is such, as Sean said, this is such a sort of totalizing mystery Mm-hmm. that I completely get how our best and brightest minds for 2,000 years have tried to understand it. I get it. I, I'm yeah. totally patient with that. Um, it's just not been been my lane. My lane, going back to something Sean said earlier, 
is around this notion of real presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say who this editor was because I don't want to get anybody, you know, I don't, I don't mean to pick on anybody. It was a long time ago. But I was writing something for an editor and I used the term, I mean, to be published and I used the term real presence. And the editor said, I don't, something like, you know, well, we're an evangelical organization and, you know, we can't say that. Hmm. And so I said, well, is, is there like somebody on your team who wants to make an argument for a place in the universe in which Christ is not really present? Mm. Like, are you, are you like serious? So, so picture, you know, even if you just take a rudimentary thing like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay. Now picture a chapel. So the heavens, including our sun. So all the heavens, all the earthly, all the, you know, cosmic, bodies. They declare the glory of God, including our sun. Our sun shining through the windows of a chapel onto the congregation and onto the table. There's a reality of God being mediated to us just in like Mm -hmm. Psalm 19. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I grew up Methodist like Sean and, you know, also of course had a lot of years in the Jesus movement and the charismatic part of the church. And, you know, the Jesus movement was highly focused on scripture, on expositional Mm -hmm. um, preaching of the Bible. Well, why? Because we thought the Bible was what? Alive. Mm -hmm. What's that Mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. Like, how's that any weirder than real presence? Right. But we believe that the Bible was alive and powerful, that more powerful than any double-edged sword, and that if we would just preach it rightly, it would penetrate to the hearts of human beings right. and, you know, divide between what's good and bad. Yeah. Or I think of charismatics. It's not, they're not weird when they say, we were singing this song, like think of one of the great, you know, sort of vineyard songs from the 70s or 80s or something, or even into today, where, you know, you have these songs that just sort of tear people's hearts out and they begin to weep and mm-hmm. and worship. Well, they're experiencing something is being mediated to God of them. Mm-hmm. So I've seen things mediated to God from his word, from scripture, I mean, sorry, from um, worship, from laying on of hands. But there is no doubt, um, just sort of existentially speaking, that something of Christ is mediated to us in the Eucharist. Mm, yeah. So you asked a question earlier, Ben, something about like, well, well, kind of like, so what, what does this mean? Two things came to my mind. One is I think there's a missional component. Mm-hmm. There's this, as the scriptures say, a come, taste and see, just, you know, come be with us in this and, mm-hmm. and give yourself to it for a period of weeks or months or something and see what you experience. Like, again, yeah. happy to go out and have coffee with you to talk about the explanations, but what's yeah. really core is, Come expecting to receive what Jesus intends to immediate of himself to you. And then secondly, Sean, just think about how worried people are today, how broken, how anxious, how fearful, and naturally so. Mm -hmm. I'm not picking on anybody. I totally get it. And I think this is where real presence has a pastoral effect, amazing pastoral effect, because now we're not going through pandemic and global economic issues and global race issues and immigration issues and on and on. We're not going through this alone. Mm-hmm. We are going through it in real presence that God yes. is determined to be with us. And as you said so well, Sean, this is a core, if not the core. Again, I'm not talking with theological precision here, but certainly a core way that God intended to let us know mm-hmm. that we are always companioned along the way. So I guess that for mm-hmm. me personally, and that and the yeah. element of that that's both missional and pastoral, 
is what I think I've learned in the 13 years of being an Anglican. I mean, I was not an evangelical on the Canterbury Trail. I was kind of recruited into Anglicanism mm. and have learned all this over the last 13 years. But I feel like my personal experiential learning has always outstripped my metaphysics. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I kind of have to always talk from just how yeah. I've personally I experienced the Eucharist. Yeah, I love that too, uh, Todd, because it's... Um, but I do think it sort of it mirrors the it mirrors the experience of most people, right? Most most people can't they don't have a super sophisticated, you know, theology of the Eucharist that they can articulate. Um, but most people have enough faith to just come to the altar, yeah. you know, and open their hands and expect that well, God's going to meet me here somehow. Um, God's going to meet me here somehow in this meal as I partake yeah. in faith, and I, I trust that I'm receiving. So. Again, this is sort of experiential, but um, I remember the first time doing Eucharist in public, you know, 12, 13 years ago, and I was so nervous. I was mm. like more nervous, I think, than I've ever been in my life. I mean, maybe my <laughs> wedding day or something, because I was just so afraid I would do something wrong. You know, I had no training. Like, literally, nobody had ever even showed me, here's how you do Eucharist. I'm not picking on anybody. It was just the way it went. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had no training in it. I just borrowed a local church's liturgy. I didn't even know till somebody came up afterwards and told me, oh, this was kind of a nice right to service. I'm like, right to, right to. I know that's <laughs> supposed to mean something. And I didn't even know we were doing a 1979 right to service. I mean, that's how, yeah. um, that's how uh, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this in public, people. It's just going <laughs> to underscore uh, certain views, but that's okay. It was real. Um, but I just remember being so nervous, but, you know, nervous in that sort of charming way. Like I knew this was really... Mm-hmm important that something important was going on here and i think i didn't fully understand my role in it and how 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 do i as a priest you know what's my role and how god is mediating something to us of his son here um so i say that to say that over the 13 years i've had every bit as much of a sort of a charismatic knowing of god's presence with me standing behind the table Mm-hmm. But as I said earlier, I also love sitting in a congregation as I do most Sundays now because uh, yeah. of COVID. And I love being able to receive. And mm-hmm. like I feel the presence of God on both sides of the table. Mm-hmm. And I kind of almost like the reception part. I totally do too. Um, I've missed that so best. much. I totally yeah. do. Yeah. Well, I, you, you guys should co-pastor with two other priests because uh, then every other... Like, <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> then uh, then you get to receive a lot more. So anyway. You know, I, can I underscore too? I just want to say that um, I know I describe our church in kind of what could be described as Anglo-Catholic aesthetics, but this isn't mm-hmm. like an Anglo-Catholic thing. And I think this just needs to be dis- dislodged from... And this isn't an Anglican thing. That's actually what's great mm. about it, right? Mm. This yeah. is this yeah, yeah. is Christ Himself giving gifts to His people yeah. through His yeah. apostles by the power of His Spirit, and no denomination has a monopoly on this, and yes. no like liturgical right um, has a has control over this. This is what's mm-hmm. wild and dangerous and mysterious about this gift that God yeah. is giving, and you know if you don't have incense and bells and robes and whatever. Um, Christ will still be present. And if you, if you kind of don't know what you're doing and you're trying to figure it out, like, like I totally agree with you. I was, I had a very similar experience, Todd, Rob and I in Santa Cruz were just trying Mm -hmm. to figure this out and Mm -hmm. the Lord was still present. And in some ways, even like, uh, in our experience, just like powerfully, uh, present in those ways, especially. And every week when people come to the table, 
there's a lot of people who are coming for the first time. And I think one of the things that we can do to really step in the way of God's gift to these people is to start making a fuss about all of the other trappings and miss the mm. point mm-hmm. that God is present here. He loves you. Yeah. Sometimes with our yeah. kids, I'll, we'll, um, you know, we do the COVID safe, like dipping the thing and the, give it to the child in their hands. And um, we'll look, we'll make sure they understand God loves you. This is proof. God loves you. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes when parents will come up and say, well, I know our kids aren't baptized yet. You know, we, we're not sure if they want them, we want them to receive Eucharist or anything like that. And, and we encourage them to be baptized to receive Eucharist. But these kids will come forward with their arms stretched out like, I want Jesus. Yeah. And so we have to yeah. turn to the parents and be like, well, he, I think this child should be baptized. It seems like this child wants Jesus. <laughs> but like kids have this, they get yeah. it. They see their family yeah. and friends doing it. And they, they, I think there is this sense about, for anyone, regardless of yes. the aesthetics, we understand what it, what it, what it feels and sounds and smells and um, senses yeah. like to yeah. be in the presence of a God who loves us. And so to, yeah. to be ministers, I think is really kind of trying to get out of the way of that yeah. and letting people come to the table for that love. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the themes that we, that we seem to keep coming back to is that um, this isn't a way of control. Like we don't, we don't, we're not in charge of this. We don't get to control God's presence by, you know, the, the rights and the, and the actions, we're not controlling anything. We're, we're submitting to something, we're mm-hmm. consenting uh, to something. And so that's, that's beautifully said. Uh, both of you, thank you uh, for your reflections on the centrality of the Eucharist. I'm eager uh, to hear the rest of this uh, series and how it plays out. Sean, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Good to be with y'all. Peace y'all. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.